Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Medicine, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMedicine.com. Um, if I've never met you before, my name is Scott, and I'm the pastor at Christ Church. And I normally have what I lovingly refer to as a Britney Spears microphone, which is the little thing that goes right here, which allows me to wander about. And I usually also don't have a mask, so I'm really like locked in today, so I can't move. Um, but man, it's good to be here. Um, last week, we officially finished our sermon series. If you've been tracking with our church, I know many of us are here for the first time today, which is totally okay. But if you were, you've been here, we've been in a sermon series um, on body life, talking about what it means that the church is the body of Christ and we're individually members of it. Um, and we celebrated the culmination of that series with the Feast of All Saints, and it was glorious. It was such an awesome time. Um, and now we're dropping back into the church lectionary, which for those of you who are unfamiliar with what the church lectionary is, the lectionary is basically a Bible reading plan for Sunday mornings um, that with some slight differences, churches follow around the world from all types of different denominations. And the lectionary follows a three-year cycle, and they have been so shaped by the church um, that they make sure that we get all our biblical food groups every year, like, like moms offer their kids different types of vegetables, right? Uh, moms don't allow their kids to only eat vanilla wafers and goldfish and candy because that's all my children would want to eat. But good moms make you eat your vegetables, and if a kid says, I don't want to eat my vegetables, what does mom say? You have to. And why does mom do that? Because mom wants healthy kids. Uh, who aren't only growing up on goldfish. And my, we have some carrots this morning. Uh, these scriptures don't necessarily go down easy. Uh, they're pretty intense. I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, like me, I was like, whoa, is this the feast of really intense scriptures Sunday? Uh, the Old Testament reading, which we elongated the Hebrews one, which is where we're going to be camping out. But the, the Old Testament reading was from Daniel about the archangel, Arch, the archangel Michael. And so that would have been even more intense. But these are some really intense scriptures that we read this morning. But they're intense because we're getting to the part of our church calendar year where the lectionary has us lift our eyes up to contemplate the second coming of Christ, the eternal kingship of Jesus, and the final judgment of the living and the dead. And as much as we might want to avoid passages like these or themes like these, I'm so thankful that our church lectionary has us read them because we need them like we need vegetables. Amen? Christians who only eat ice cream and bread and butter uh, get unhealthy. And often that's what we're served up. That's why we need mom to be mom and not cool mom trying to just give us what we want to eat. We need apocalyptic scriptures in our life. You might have never had anybody tell you that before. You need apocalyptic scriptures in your life, where Jesus and the prophets address the tumult of nations and wars and rumors of wars. We need to contemplate the second coming of Christ, where Jesus and the prophets grab us by the collar, look you in the eye, and tell you to stay awake. Because life is apocalyptic. Amen. We are often insulated or inoculated from these truths in the West, but life is extremely fragile. 
Do you remember when COVID started? Did you meet anybody who said, I'm not shocked by this at all? Life is utterly fragile. I didn't meet a single person who said that. But the truth is, COVID just revealed what has always been true about life, is that it's fragile. Nations rise and fall. And not only that, the world's not going to last forever. Do you think about that often? All flesh is like grass, the scriptures say. The earth will wear out like a garment and be rolled up like an old carpet, the prophet Isaiah says. And you and I will eventually sit before the judgment seat of Christ, so we need scriptures that speak into these things and that teach us about how to think about these things. Amen? They don't always go down easy, but they are good for you. So we're going to think about this this week, next week, which is the Feast of Christ the King. And then we get into Advent, which is all about the anticipation of Jesus' return. So I'm so thankful that we get scriptures like this. If you're new to Christ Church, we want to be a culture at Christ Church that is eating different food groups from the Bible. We really care about that. We like vegetables at Christ Church. We like kale. We like chia seeds, superfoods, all of it, okay? My mom would be so happy. She loves kale and superfoods. All right, we don't have time to address everything in these scriptures. So I was, I was meditating on these and asking the Lord, what does he have for us uh, in these different passages that we're reading? I was drawn to the two verses in Hebrews 10. So please go there with me. If you have a Bible, you can open up your Bible to Hebrews 10. And we are going to verse 35 and 36. These are the two kind of theme verses for this morning. You guys there? Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Remember the context of the book of Hebrews, um, if you were here last week, is that there were these early Christians who started to joyfully follow Jesus, and they were really brave in doing so. But then after a lot of persecution and after a lot of ridicule and honestly after some disappointment that Jesus did not come back as soon as they thought and take over as soon as they thought, they started having doubts about following Jesus. They started second-guessing their decision. They're having a crisis of faith. They're in a lot of pressure. And so you get this admonition, do not throw away your confidence. You have need of endurance. And I was so struck by that phrase, Do not throw away your confidence. It just jumped off the page to me. And as it always happens sometimes when you're reading the scriptures, X marks the Holy Spirit spot. And where the Holy Spirit puts an X, you start digging. So we're going to do some digging this morning, particularly into what is the confidence that Hebrews is talking about and why does the writer of Hebrews telling us that we don't want to throw it away. Okay? So we're going to do some digging together, mainly into three questions that we're going to frame this. Number one, what is biblical confidence? Number two, where does it come from? And number three, why do we need it? What is biblical confidence? Where does it come from? Why do we need it? Let me just pray for us before we dive in. Heavenly Father, as we prayed this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. Lord, give me boldness to speak clearly about what these scriptures teach, Lord, and give us the blessed confidence 
of Jesus in all of his glory and in all of his high priesthood. And we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, first, what is biblical confidence? Today, we often think of confidence as like walking into a business meeting in a power suit or being really comfortable in your bathing suit on the beach. Um, But what does the Bible mean when it talks about confidence? Here's my little definition, if you're a note taker. Biblical confidence is boldness before the world and before God. It is boldness before the world and before God. I chose the word boldness there because the Greek word that's translated as confidence, just to nerd out a little bit on this Hebrews passage, is really interchangeable with the English word boldness. And you'll see sometimes them, they can be used in the same space to articulate the same meaning. And this boldness faces in two directions according to the Bible. On the one hand, it's before the world, but then on the other hand, it's before God. So we'll first focus on the boldness before the world. So let's go back to Hebrews 10. Look at Hebrews 10, verse 32. You guys there with me? We're going to do some Bible study today. It's going to be great. Verse 32, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. And the words used there are, are about arenas. It's kind of public exposure like what happened in a Roman arena, which could very well have happened to these people. And sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. These people, the writer is reminding them, had this immense pressure around them. They were being persecuted. They were being thrown into arenas, but they stood fast. They weren't intimidated by it. They weren't suppressed by it. They publicly stood firm. And not only that, I love how it says, when their brothers and sisters were likewise ridiculed, They didn't keep their distance so that they didn't get entangled. They partnered with them. They aligned themselves with them. That is bold. That is confident. It reminds me of the Woolworth sit-ins in the Civil Rights Movement. Uh, Some of you know this, but in 1960, very famously, four African-American college students sat down at the Woolworth Diner in Greensboro, North Carolina, knowing that it was a whites-only restaurant and knowing that when they did that, they would have a serious, violent backlash. But even so, they sat down and they ordered coffee, which was a huge tipping point in the civil rights movement in some ways. That's the idea. It is public courage in the face of pressure and intimidation. And we see this word and this virtue play a huge role in the book of Acts. So after Pentecost, Acts 4 tells us that all the people saw the boldness or confidence of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men and they were astonished. And when the, Paul, when the apostles at the end of chapter 4 start getting persecuted and pressured to quit speaking about Jesus, which they're literally like, you can't do this anymore, you have to stop, guess what they all get together in a community to pray for and to ask God to give them. Not to get out of it, not to make it stop. What do they pray for? Boldness. They pray for confidence. 
Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. And this becomes a major theme in the book of Acts, which many of you are studying uh, in soup and bread. And the very last verse, which is pretty cool, in the book of Acts, in Acts 28, Paul is in Rome, he's in house arrest, and the book ends with this. He was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, with all confidence. That's where the book of Acts crescendos to a point. Now, what's the opposite of this? Public courage in the face of pressure. The opposite is being ashamed and being afraid. The opposite is shrinking back out of fear, distancing yourself from others. Peter's denial of Christ is a perfect picture of it, and don't uh, blame Peter. Peter's experience is just a mirror meant to show us all what we all have done in some capacity, which is where we do this. We back up. Hebrews says, remember your confidence, don't throw it away. Now let's think about the other dimension, which is boldness before God. It's essentially the same quality of standing up bravely and publicly, not shrinking back in fear, but instead of before people, it's before God. And my favorite story to help us understand this is from the book of Esther. Um, Esther, if you guys have read it, it's an amazing story. I'm really shocked it has not been turned into a movie, because I just think it would be a great one. Uh, maybe it is. Yeah, it is. Okay, it is. Well, who, who's... Okay, it's not very good. Well, uh, I'm, I'm not in touch anyways. VeggieTales, yeah, okay. For those of you who haven't seen the VeggieTales, Esther was a Jewish woman taken into the king of Persia's harem, Xerxes, and she eventually became a queen. And the book of Esther is about God saving the Jewish people through her advocacy, and through her boldness. So there's this one moment, which for me is really the climax of the book, uh, where everything is hanging in the balance, and the Jewish people are about to be destroyed, and Esther decides to go in uninvited to have an audience before Xerxes to plead for the Jewish people. But to do that, to go before the, the king uninvited, was illegal under the penalty of death. But Esther is so bold, she's so confident that she walks into the throne room. It's one of the great, great moments of chutzpah in the Bible. And by the grace of God, Xerxes extends his scepter and shows favor to her. And man, that moment in, in Esther will preach when it comes to the New Testament. This is the kind of confidence Hebrews is saying that we are to have before God through Christ. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Hebrews 4. In our passage, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. And both Hebrews and 1 John particularly emphasize the importance of this confidence at the return of Christ. Boldness in the judgment. 1 John 2.28 says this, And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. So many of the same language that Hebrews uses. 1 John 4.17, By this is love perfected with us, 
so that we may have confidence at the day of judgment. This is an insane thing to say when you actually think about what the Bible is saying. That Christians are to have boldness to enter the throne room. That at Christ's return, at the judgment, you can stand up straight and be confident like walking into a business meeting. That's chutzpah. And I love saying that word, chutzpah. Everybody say chutzpah. Yeah. <laughs> we're talking about the same God here that when he touched down on Sinai, the people were so afraid. They asked Moses to please go in their stead because they couldn't go any further. And Hebrews is saying, you should just have the utter confidence to get up and walk right up the mountain to God. What is the opposite? It's right there in our reading in verse 27 in Hebrews 10. A fearful expectation of judgment is the opposite. Instead of walking into the light and standing before God, the opposite is being terrified and shrinking away in fear from God. Hebrews does not want you to fear the world, and Hebrews does not want you to fear God. That's why it's saying, don't throw away your boldness. You're going to need that. Don't leave it behind. Now for the second question, where does it come from? And that is the question all of us should be asking. It certainly was the one I was asking. Towards the world, it's like, man, this sounds like a superpower. I can't even be confident at the lunch table and like, express what I actually think, much less you know, face public ridicule. And when it comes to God, who can stand before God in the judgment? Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Okay, well, that's not me, and that's not anybody I know. So who can stand before God in the judgment, right? We should all be thinking that. That's terrifying to be asked to stand at the judgment. It does not come from ourselves. Paul famously says, I put no what in the flesh? I put no confidence in myself. Here's your answer for the second question. Where does it come from? It comes from an abiding faith in what Christ has done, is doing, and will do. Let me say that again. It comes from an abiding faith in what Christ has done, is doing, and will do. Let's go back to Hebrews 10, okay? I'm going to keep on sticking your nose in this passage as we go on. So look back at it with me and go to the very beginning of the passage in verse 19. If at the end of this passage, it's all one big idea, by the way, the writer of Hebrews tells us not to throw away our confidence, he begins the passage by telling us why we have confidence in the first place. So let's start in verse 19 and see where our confidence comes from. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, okay, so we have it, according to the writer. Now, why? By the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He begins first by saying we are confident because of what Christ has done. 
He says, we have confidence by the blood of Jesus through his flesh, which is his body. And that, brothers and sisters, is cross language. That's atonement language. What keeps us terrified in God's presence is our sin and our guilt. But on the cross, Christ's blood was shed and his body was broken to cleanse us from our sins, to purify our guilt, and to fully open up the way to God. So to use the Esther analogy, thinking of the context of Esther, in our sin, no one can go before the throne and live. The door to the throne room is shut. But God, in his great love, sent his son, the king himself, to leave the throne room of God, come down into the gutter with us, die a sinner's death, so that he could bust open the door to the throne room itself for you to enter into it. And that he did once and for all. Jesus said, it's finished. I did it. Amen? So if before there was never a good time to go into the throne room, people lived in fear like with Xerxes, I can't go before the king. Now by the blood of Jesus, Hebrews wants to convince you, and don't miss this, that there is never a bad time not to go into the the throne room of God. It's like a dad being on a phone or on a Zoom call and his kids are outside the door and they're wondering whether or not now's the right time. And we had all those hilarious videos, right, of kids busting in on their parents in like really important Zoom meetings. But we all experienced that somehow with our parents. Some of us had parents where it was never a good time to interrupt them. We never were sure, can I approach my dad right now? Some of us had parents where if we didn't pitch a no-hitter, or we didn't come home with A's, then it was definitely not a good time to go before mom or dad. But not our heavenly father, amen? He's never in a meeting you can't interrupt, never. In fact, he wants you to come before him. By the blood of Jesus, you have full permission and authority and access to go before God. You are a daughter, you are a son of the king, the scepter will always be extended to you in Jesus. Confidence comes from faith in what Jesus Christ has done, amen? But it also comes from faith in what Christ is doing. So if you look back at the Hebrews passage, it doesn't just come from Jesus's blood and body. It also, in verse 21, is because we have right now a great priest over the house of God. And as our great high priest, Christ is currently before the Father, always interceding and advocating on our behalf. In Jesus, we have a guy on the inside. To go back to the Esther analogy, it's not only did Jesus open up a way to go before the throne. When you get to the throne room, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, whispering in his ear on your behalf to have him bless you and keep you, and make his face shine upon you. That is happening right now, and Hebrews thinks, at least, that Jesus' priestly ministry should really fill you with confidence, with boldness. Listen to this other passage in Hebrews 4. All the same things. Listen to all these same themes we're talking about today. 
Since then, again, he's, he's reasoning with you. He's trying to convince you of this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in the time of need. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we're filled with boldness. Because of Christ's present intercession as our high priest, we're filled with boldness. And finally, we're filled with boldness because of Christ, what, what Christ will do. And that is one day he's going to return and judge the world in righteousness and truth. For the last time, look back at Hebrews 10. It's really amazing how Hebrews goes from the past to the present to the future here. Look at verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, capital D, drawing near. The day is the day of Christ's return the day of the Lord. It's coming. It's drawing nearer every day. And that means that all sin and all evil and suffering has a shelf life. All the junk in your life, everything that corrupts and destroys the creatures of God has a shelf life. Amen? None of it is going to last. None of it's going to win. None of it will be able to withstand the purifying fire of the lamb who was slain. Hallelujah. That's good news. And that, Hebrews thinks, should really fill you with confidence and boldness. That's a reason to hold fast to the confession, to hang in there, because it's coming. To not shrink back, to not be intimidated. The day is coming in the future. It is meant to fill you with boldness in the present. So where does confidence come from? It comes from an abiding faith in what Christ has done, is doing, and will do. This means, and this is a, an important thing for us to gather, this means biblical confidence is not a lifestyle. It's not a self-help book that you can get to make yourself seem more awesome. It's not prophetic machismo. It's not self-belief. It's not a spiritual gift only meant for some people. Let me say that again. It is not a spiritual gift only meant for some people who are the confident ones. That's not what this is talking about. It is a fruit which the faith tree bears. It is a fruit, confidence is, that the, the tree of your faith bears. The apostles were not bold in acts because they were awesome, special people people were astonished because they weren't special people. That's what freaked them out. They were bold, listen, because they really actually believed all the stuff we just said about Jesus. They had a hard time getting there, okay? They're, not super, they're like us. Took Peter a long time. But eventually, those truths sunk into his heart, and he actually thought they were true. 
and the Holy Spirit poured gasoline on it and set it on fire, and they were bold. So if you want to bear the fruit of confidence, then water your faith tree. (laughs) Water the tree of your faith, and you will bear that fruit. If you just try to grow your confidence in in the Lord, that's like trying to get an apple without an orchard. Can't be done. You'll end up just reading way too many self-help books and watching motivational videos on YouTube, which drain as quickly as they fill. I think we can all agree. But you feed your faith and belief in the Son of God and the fruit will naturally come. Water it with the word. Nourish it with the body and blood of Jesus. Go into your prayer closet and reason with the Holy Spirit about the implications of Christ's death Christ's favor towards you in his high priesthood and his imminent return, and the fruit will come. I love that we're singing blessed assurance today. We didn't plan that, but notice how much assurance is a part of these scriptures. Belief leads to blessed assurance, and blessed assurance, when you're sure of it, it bears the fruit of blessed confidence. This is why we gather every week to encourage one another, just like Hebrews is saying, Notice it's saying a huge part of that is y'all got to get together and remind each other that this stuff is true because you're going to forget it and you're going to start letting go of your confidence. It's going to get eroded. And therefore, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Exactly. See? We do it every week. Hallelujah. Now, before we move on, I want to highlight something that Hebrews emphasizes, which is important, and that is that this confidence before God and the world comes from being in Christ. But in verses 26 to 31, which is the super intense part that was like, Hebrews serves us some vegetables, something hard to swallow, but something we need to hear, and that is that outside of Christ, the opposite is true. Apart from Christ, you cannot draw near to God. Apart from Christ, you should fear the judgment of God because you are still in your sins. Now, hear the gospel. God so loved the world that he gave his only son who suffered and died beyond what you can imagine so that you need not perish, so that you would not have to fear the judgment. Amen? The way is open. Forgiveness is free. It costs nothing. But if you reject Christ and you choose to go at it alone, then as verse 26 says, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. All of us will end up standing before God in judgment. No one gets the choice of whether or not that gets to happen or not. What we do get to choose is whether or not we meet God in Christ with his atoning forgiveness by, or by ourselves with all of our sins intact. We choose to meet God by ourselves. No, I don't need your advocacy, Jesus. I'm confident in myself that I can do this alone. And the scriptures, hear them, you need to hear this, are strongly exhorting you to not be confident in the latter option, for it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It took a lot of boldness for the apostles to preach that to religious people who thought they had everything together. That was why people hated, some people at least, the original message of Christianity, because it was that you're not good. You need Jesus. 
It takes a lot of boldness to preach that today, and yet we need to hear it. Amen? If you're in Christ, this is not meant to throw your blessed assurance into question. We get caught up on these passages in Hebrews, and they're, they're really intense, but it's good that they're intense. The intention of these passages is the opposite. Remember the context of Hebrews. It's about people who are feeling a lot of pressure, and they're considering abandoning the way of Christ. They're considering chucking it all in. And these truths are intended to encourage these people to stay on the way. Don't give it up. Hold fast the confession of faith. Stay under the cross. And for those who are not in Christ, and maybe that describes where you're at this morning, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, this truth is likewise meant to drive you to Jesus. The doorway to God is wide open because of what Jesus did on the cross. It is wide open. Forgiveness of sins is being freely offered. God is so patient and loving. Blessed confidence to stand in the judgment of God is available in the gospel. And so our main message has to always be what Jesus' main message was, which was repent and believe in the gospel. Amen? If you are wrestling with these things, whether you would describe yourself as a Christian or not, I would love to chat with you about it. We'll have prayer ministers somewhere. We'll work that out later in this room. During communion, go up and pray with them about it. Jesus has made a way. All right, what's biblical confidence? It's boldness towards God in the world. Where does it come from? An abiding faith in what Christ has done, is doing, and will do. And finally, why do we need it? And I'll spend less time on this one. Here's my not poetic at all description for why we need it. We need it for the work that God has called us to do. We need it for the work that God has called us to do. Sorry, I, I, I do want you to look at Hebrews 10 one more time. I told you it was the last time. I think this is actually the last time. Look at Hebrews 10 one more time. Let's finish the passage. Verse 35, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Translation, the race for you, and all of us can say this right now because we're alive and we're in this room. The race is not over for us yet. You have not crossed the finish line. There will be a finish line, so take heart. There will be a reward for the faith. Notice it's right in there. There will be a time when you receive everything that has been promised to you in its fullness, but you're not there yet. Right now, you're called to do God's will in this world. And for that, you're going to need endurance and you're going to need confidence because there's going to be a lot of pressure. Okay, to finish, the Bible is assuming here that we are all in the middle of hard things. It's just an assumption the scriptures are making. The Bible is assuming that we are beat down and that there are times when we are tempted to throw away our confidence and to give up. And if I may say so, I think the Bible is assuming rightly. <laughs> yes, it's right. Amen, Leah, thank you. I think it's right on point. I, for one, am happy to admit that I'm in desperate need of endurance and confidence right now. The Holy Spirit is hitting the nail on the head. 
So how is the Holy Spirit moving in you right now, and especially as we continue to worship in this service? What are you enduring, you personally, in your life that God might want to strengthen you for? Listen, his ministry to you today, this week, might not be in making that thing stop. His ministry might be giving you the confidence to continue to endure it the strength to endure it. What are you being asked to do that is hard? His ministry to you might not be removing the hard thing from before you, the obstacle. His ministry might be to embolden you to do the thing that he has asked you to do. It was certainly true of Jesus, right? And the servant is like the master. Brothers and sisters, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.